are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Life through the Spirit. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he's condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may also share his glory. Thank you, Coulter. That is not a small reading. When I grow up, I want to be able to hunt as successfully as Coulter Tiki. (laughs) So I've been thinking about him. Turkey season is here, and Coulter's quite the expert, which I believe is a skill he learned from his dad, J.C. Is that right, J.C.? All right. Actually, our table question had reminded me of something that we had talked about at the beginning of this year as a leadership team, specifically related to J.C. We just met for the first time in person, masked and distanced as a leadership team, but our first meetings this year were all on Zoom. And so just as a way to have some conversation and do some meaningful stuff together, we asked this table question, and we asked specifically, what's one of your favorite stories about Jesus? And I remember what J.C. said on that meeting. He said that one of his favorites is seeing Jesus spend time with children. And so I wonder, too, if this morning that maybe came up at any of our tables. And so that's the story, if we remember, that J.C. was thinking about where The disciples are trying to shoo away all these noisy little kids and give Jesus some space. And Jesus says to them, 
No. It says, in fact, he was indignant. It's a pretty strong word. And he says, no, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So that was J.C.'s favorite. And in just thinking about that story, how cool is it that we now get to translate that story and the gospel of Mark for a people who've never had it in their own language before? And so next week, you could sign up for it. You might adopt a certain story that's a favorite of yours. And for that one in Mark, was Mark chapter 10, I think you might have to thumb wrestle JC for dibs on it. But uh, that's what we'll get to do next week. 100,000 people are the Timbaro. And when you think about this conceptually, that's U.S. Bank Stadium and Target Field put together. That's a lot of people. And how exciting that we get to be part of this. Kendra, thank you so much again for coming up and being with us today as we get ready for this Palm Sunday. We're going to celebrate Easter next week and have some really fun ways, some interactive pieces that you'll see all over the gym as we get to start this translation project. Also next Sunday, we're going to be giving away a book to every household connected to the Y Church as an Easter gift. It's this book called Jesus the King. It is based on the Gospel of Mark and is all about the life and death of Jesus and what that means for us. And so we are excited to hand this to you. We also designed a commemorative bookmark that will be tucked in there specific to our Timbaro project. So some fun things here as we immerse ourselves in the Gospel of Mark, both here at home, but also coming alongside our brothers and sisters in the Timbaro region. With that all said, today and all this week, we're going to be in Romans 8. We're wrapping up our study of the first half of Romans now, this week and Holy Week. Then we're going to be in Mark for a a longer stretch. And then in the fall when we go back to school and we come back, we'll do the second half of Romans. But we felt it was important to split Romans into two sections. Kind of like, you ever have a meal at a restaurant and the second that plate arrives, you know that you're going to have to get a to-go box? That's Romans. Big words, big sentences, really important stuff, and some of the finest, richest food that you and I have tasted in our life. I had this idea given to me once, and it was to write down five to seven of your favorite biblical books that you would want to study across the course of your life. And this was not just pastor advice. This was just a general idea for all of us who are following Jesus. And studying the whole scripture is important, but it's hard to be an expert in 66 books of the Bible. That was the idea. So this person said, well, pick a handful, five to seven, where you can really go deep and come back again and again. And Romans, for me, is one of those on my list. So far we've studied chapters 1 to 7. And now today we begin this three-part study of Romans 8 that will take us through Holy Week. So today, and then Good Friday, and then next Sunday on Easter will be the last. And the timing is perfect for us to be in Romans 8. Romans 8... What Coulter started us off in this morning is called the greatest passage in the greatest book of the Bible. It has been called the highest peak in the mountain range. Some have even answered our table question in a sense this morning and said Romans 8 is the single most wonderful chapter in the entire Bible. So those are some of the accolades I was reading 
in preparation for today. And those are quite the statement, quite the claim to make. And how is that? What's Romans 8 about? Well, at its core, it shows us what it means to be a Christian. What Jesus has done for us and what it means for our life now and forever. That's Romans 8. But you have to taste it for yourself to really know it. My wife's birthday was earlier this month. And so we were thinking about going out that evening for dessert. So we started to check out the online menus of some of the local restaurants. And then we got to Poor, and we read about Poor's in Otsego, and we read about their chocolate ganache cake. And the description sounded good, so we thought, all right, well, that one wins out. And we went to Poor, and we got a couple of decaf coffees and one of these pieces of cake to split. But I just want to tell you the difference between reading it on your phone screen in a menu description, and then when that chocolate ganache layer cake comes to your table, and it is set in front of us, and we took our first bites, I mean, it met every expectation and more. Maybe that's your second assignment. You go thank Mickey, and then you can go to pour and have the chocolate cake. It was incredible. And that's just a picture I want to give to you and as I invite you to taste and experience Romans 8 this week during Holy Week. Not to take my word for it on a Sunday morning sermon, but just to read it for yourself. In fact, I was thinking about maybe a fun little project we could do this year with relationship to Romans 8. What if this was our Bible memory project for the year? You know, a whole chapter sounds like a lot to put to memory. I know, it does. But if that's all we did, as far as something to memorize, wouldn't that be incredible? You'd have arguably one of the greatest chapters of the Bible hidden in your heart and in a sense always open before you if we put this to memory. I just personally felt inclined to tackle that in 2021 and want to invite you to do the same and then we can check in on the side and mark some progress together. Today we're looking at the first 17 verses, and in some ways, even as Coulter was reading through it, I thought, this is kind of an impossible scenario. 17 in-depth verses from one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. How are we ever going to do that? How are we going to ever do it justice? And what I want you to picture, you see it in advertising and in real estate and all kinds of applications now, how a drone will fly up and capture video of a building or a whole city block. I've even seen them used in wedding videos now. It's a, it's a really neat perspective. And there's things that you can only see at that bird's eye view by taking a look at it that way. And that's what we're going to do this morning in these first verses of Romans 8. There's essentially two things that I'd like for us to take home. And so you might not be able to say after this, well, what was exactly in the 12th verse We're going to fly above the details and really make this crystal clear what it means to be led by the Spirit, number one, and then secondly, what it means to be a child of God. That's essentially what this passage is about. So let's dive into it together. Romans 8, verse 1. We're not going to study every single verse here today, but uh, verse 1 we have to look at. It's the commanding verse of the whole passage. It marks a major shift in the letter when it says, Therefore, there is now 
You can hear it, can't you, in the language. There's a significant conclusion that's coming from everything that's been said so far. So what's been said so far? In about two phrases, because we have been justified, because we have been set free from the penalty and power of sin, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, a big Romans word. Condemnation is a courtroom word. And you remember, if you've been here online with us, that Paul is speaking Greco-Roman language. And they knew court language. Condemnation is one of those justification when the judge would declare someone righteous, hearing the case and says, this one is right. Condemnation is essentially the opposite of that. That's when you receive the penalty. In this case, the penalty for sin. And then last week in Romans 7, we had that triumphant declaration at the end, but thanks be to God, Jesus has stepped in and He has delivered me from this. He's gone to the cross, He's paid the penalty for sin, and broken its power over my life. And that's what Paul sums up in verse 2 when he says, because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And with that, we're introduced to the Spirit and the first of those two big takeaways, what it means to be led by Him. In Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. That is a stunning amount and percentage across this chapter. 19 times. And yet who the Holy Spirit is, is really not the main focus of Romans 8. Here's the main focus. It is what the Holy Spirit does. I grew up in a wonderful church home in Hudson, Wisconsin. And I want to tell you about it briefly as we talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, there's no perfect church on the planet, including our own. We all have our shortcomings or blind spots, perhaps. And two of the things in this healthy, vibrant church community that I grew up in that we just didn't talk about much were global missions and the Holy Spirit. They just didn't seem to come up in the way that everything else came up. And so I grew up thinking, and maybe some of you can relate to this, you know, God the Father, God the Son, that made a little bit more sense to me. But then the Holy Spirit was somehow more mysterious, this third member of the Trinity. And yet here is Paul talking about the Holy Spirit 19 times in a single chapter in what's one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. It must be pretty important. And so here's the deal. We could stop. We probably need a lot more minutes than we have now. We could define who the Holy Spirit is. We could talk about His relationship to the Father and the Son We could do all that theology work, and that has its place. But in Romans 8, we get to know the Holy Spirit by what He does in the life of the believer. And I want to put this in terms of basketball for you, as long as we're watching the NCAA tournament right now. I could give you the stat lines, for instance, for Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. I could just give you the numbers. Or I could talk about the accomplishments of Paige Beckers from UConn. 
Or how about this? We just sit down and watch them play basketball. Doesn't that sound like more fun? That would be incredible. And that's really what we're invited into in Romans 8. If we really want to know the Holy Spirit, it is not going to be in some dry third-person description. It's going to be through his personal ministry to each one of us. The whole theme of Romans 8 could be summed up as the blessings the Holy Spirit gives to believers. And chief among those blessings is the word assurance. That you can know 100% that your relationship with God is settled and secure. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to go through your life hoping and thinking and believing that maybe you did enough good things to be on God's good side. You don't have to chronically struggle. You don't have to second guess yourself, but you can just know. You can know that you're growing spiritually into who God has made you to be. Last week we had a very kind neighbor stop by and give us some of these. I brought two of them with me. You see them all over this time of year. Do you, can you see them from a distance? Little maracas, right? They've got the seeds in them, these little seed packets. And so a neighbor brought these over and gifted those to our family to plant this year. And I was thinking about the seeds that are in there, you know, tucked away in this envelope. They're helpless to do a thing until they're planted and watered and given the right amount of sunshine. They are dependent on someone getting them out of that envelope and in the position to grow. And then when that happens, then they will grow into the flowers that they were made to be. That is what God does for us. He rescues us out of darkness and into a place where there is life and where the Spirit helps us to grow. So we have this wonderful contrast in Romans 8 between the law of the Spirit and the law of sin and death. The Spirit sets us free, whereas sin and death had enslaved us. And the difference, in a sense, the shaking out of the envelope, is the gospel. Look at verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And we're not going to look at the verses that continue on there, but you see this contrast between what it means to live by the flesh and what it means to live by the Spirit. And this word flesh is an important word in Romans and all of the New Testament. It describes really us when we're living in rebellion against God, living by the ways of the world. So we're presented with this contrast. I can either live by the flesh, running away from God, or... I can live by the Spirit, being watered and nurtured and obedient. And here's the contrast as we see it in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, contrast, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And I bet across this gymnasium this morning, every one of us could give some kind of response to this question. In what ways am I being tempted to live by the flesh? 
And in what ways is God leading me to live by the Spirit? We said last week in Romans 7, there are days when there is a real battle, a real tug of war going on inside of us. But Paul here has good news for us. He levels his eyes right at the Romans, right at you and I today, and he says in verse 9, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. You remember a couple times we've talked about this transfer of realms, that I used to be here, dead in my sin, hopelessly lost, condemned, but transfer of realms. I met Christ. Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road. And then everything in my life changed. I'm living in a new kingdom now where I am free and forgiven. That's the realm of the Spirit. And in this realm, it says the Spirit of God lives in you. One of the precious teachings of these verses of Romans is that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. The word that's used is oikeo, Right here in verse 9, it's going to come up again in verse 11, and it means a settled residence to dwell somewhere permanently. And the Bible knows the difference, by the way. There's a related word that is paroikeo, and that means a temporary residence. This means you're living in somebody's basement, or writing a rent check, or couch surfing, or maybe a college student at a dorm for a season. But the picture here is that the Holy Spirit has taken up permanent residence in the heart of the believer. Now, we should ask ourselves, can the presence of the Holy Spirit be more or less evident in a Christian's life? You betcha, we say in Minnesota, right? Yes, of course. And that's this process we've come into now in Romans talking about sanctification. Some people are growing into a more full, mature flower, while others might be struggling more or in a dry and difficult season, not growing as much, not blossoming. But this principle is true that believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. I want you to hear this description from Douglas Moo. He says, However much we may need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit, However much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit, from the moment of conversion on, fancy way of saying from the moment you have met Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within. And so the amazing task before us is to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work, to have His way. We get to cooperate, to participate, to be led by the indwelling Spirit of God. I want to show you this little picture, this painting that my wife did earlier this year. We're going to ignore for the moment that she accidentally did it in Packers colors. But this hangs on our wall at home. She painted it earlier this year. It's this wonderful phrase from Galatians 4.19. Until Christ is formed in you. That is what the Holy Spirit does. And you and I get to be part of it. 
F.F. Bruce says, The leading of the Spirit is not a matter of sporadic impulse, but the believer's habitual experience. And I pray for you and for me today that we're just a little bit further along than where we were a year ago. Or five years ago, or ten, or thirty-five years, Kendra, you've been following Jesus. That you can turn around and you can see the progress of the Holy Spirit working in your life, growing you up into maturity until Christ is formed in you. That's the first big picture of this passage, being led by the Spirit. And now I want to finish very briefly with the other big picture, and that's being a child of God. Look at how these two things are connected in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Remember where we started? This was J.C.'s favorite story. And it's not just about being one of the bystanders. You know, one of the adults who's watching the kids and admiring Jesus from a distance. No, the Bible says we're one of them. That's who we are in this story. A child of God being welcomed by Jesus. But it wasn't always this way. Verse 15, which we won't read, indicates that we were once slaves who were living in fear, but that by the spirit of adoption, we now get to live as children of God. One writer said, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of the believer's joy and security anywhere in Scripture. Assurance. That you and I have been adopted permanently into God's family. Remember, many of the Romans getting this letter and reading it had been slaves. Paul is speaking their language. He's saying, yes, we were slaves to sin. But then God came to our rescue. He redeemed us at the cross and adopted us into his family as children. So verse 15, the tail end of it says, And by him, that's by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is not a Greek word like all the other words in the New Testament and here in Romans 8. It's an Aramaic word that they just wrote into the text. And Aramaic was the common language of Jesus, of his disciples, and most all of the ordinary folks of the New Testament. They spoke Aramaic. Hebrew was the old religious language of the Old Testament. Greek was the language of the Romans, and it was the business language. But Aramaic was their mother tongue, or as Kendra shared with us, it was their heart language. And Abba was the affectionate form for father. Jackson, Emily, do you call your dad father formally? No, no. It's the affectionate form. It's dad, daddy, papa. That is the sense of Abba. Well, listen to this word in Mark 14 when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, you could pick that verse next week. He falls to the ground and he cries out, Abba, Father, in prayer before the Lord. Actually, scholars are quite certain that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the words that we're going to pray in just a few minutes, the Lord's Prayer, when he says, Our Father who art in heaven... So we have the Greek rendering in the Bible, but they say it is very likely Jesus, in talking with his disciples, was teaching them to say, our Abba. 
I want to leave you with these words from Martin Luther as he reflected on this word, and it's here that we close this morning. He said about the word Abba, this is but a little word, and yet notwithstanding, it comprehends all things. The mouth speaks not, but the affection of the heart speaks in this matter. Although I be oppressed, said Luther, see if this sounds familiar to seasons of your life, Although I be oppressed with anguish and terror on every side and seem to be forsaken and utterly cast away from your presence, yet am I a child of God and you are my Father for Christ's sake. I am beloved because of the beloved. My brothers and sisters, there is not a single thing on this earth that can change that fact in your life. You can know, if you have placed your trust in Christ and given your life to the Lord, you can know 100% that you have a loving Abba in heaven who is leading you by the Spirit and preparing a place for you in eternity. That's why Paul could say in another passage, to live here and now is Christ, to die is gain. You get to go from glory to glory when you're led by the Spirit and when you're a beloved child of the King. And invite our worship team up and I'll lead us in prayer as we close out our service. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father, Abba, that we get to call you by such an affectionate name. You who are holy and sovereign, creator over all the earth, that we get to call you, Father, is a blessing beyond description. And Lord, this morning we thank you for the riches of your word. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, that where we still need to grow, and there are so many areas and ways where we still need to grow, Lord, would you lead us and teach us until Christ is formed in us? We thank you for the privilege of being your children, a privilege bought by the precious blood of Christ, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.